Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, and how about that for a debut, eh? The regular season gets kicked off last night. We're doing this early this morning, feeling the good vibes, but the Jets, with an absolute thriller, kick off their season with an OT win over the Calgary Flames. We're going to dive all into that. I'm so jacked to finally talk and break down some actual hockey action. So we'll get into game one of the regular season and see who stood out, maybe who needs a bit of improvement and what to look forward to, I guess. After this one, there's a couple games out there in Ontario, including one of the big smoke that everybody's going to be super jacked for. So we'll talk about that in just one sec. Should mention too that later on in the show, We're going to speak with a former trainer of the Winnipeg Jets back in 1.0 times, a former Jets trainer now turned Italian restaurateur. It's a great interview. Little Nana's kitchen. We're going to dive into some Italian cuisine. So that's a ton of fun. You're going to want to make sure to tune into that. That'll come down after our breakdown, after our recap of Jets flames game one last night. One more thing as well, before we dive right into it, I do want to mention for all the foodies out here in the city, this is going to drop the day before a very important time in Winnipeg. That's right. Fried Chicken Fest. Fried Chicken Fest. I didn't know it was a thing, but they're back again for another year. It's going to run from Saturday uh, the 16th to, I guess it would be, Oh, it's a whole week long. Yeah, my mass grade early this <laughs> my mass grade early this morning. Uh, Saturday to Saturday, so it's running January sixteenth to the twenty third. There's over two dozen different restaurants that are getting into this. So if you're a big fried chicken fan, which I have to imagine if you like taste or food in general that you are, make sure to check this out. Help out all the restaurants and all the places here in the city. You can get all the info at friedchickenfest.ca and treat yourself a little bit. Treat yourself and, and help out some local business as well during some tough times. And, hey, after a W, you probably should. I think you earned it. You probably burned. If you're like me, you burned a couple hundred calories. So you could work off the fried chicken uh, sandwich or two because the Jets, bit of a rocky start, but they found a way to get it done. A 4-3 victory over the Calgary Flames, so let's just jump right in and let you guys know what I saw from the game. 
And it's good. It's good that it came with a win. And it's good that things change because now we can joke about it. Now we can have a little bit of fun. The first period at the start to the Winnipeg Jets season was absolutely horrendous. And it's it's okay to laugh about it now because the play did a complete 180 after that. But my, oh my, did they look rough early on. And it was basically everyone. It wasn't just, a, you know, this line is kind of struggling right out of the gate. It was the entire team. You know, even Connor Hellebuck, who I'm not going to blame for any of the goals, but Helly was slipping and sliding and, and kind of diving around in his crease. I mean, he looked like a goalie that hasn't had a game since, what is it, August now? So, again, I'm not going to blame him for anything, but when your Vesta Trophy win, it looks a little out of sorts. It, it kind of... It kind of bled down to the entire team there. And the Jets just, they were not, they were just so disorganized inside their own zone. And I didn't, I didn't want to jump to any conclusions right out of the way because Hey, look, game one, you got to be a little bit careful period one, maybe even more so, but it was, I think it was just everyone's worst case scenario played out in front of our eyes that the Jets just, it was going to be more of the same last year. And it's going to continue into this season, and they're going to need to get bailed out by their goaltending. Now, they did get bailed out by a certain someone who had an absolute whale of a game. He's here, isn't he? <laughs> like Patrick Line. Patrick Line came to play. Let's talk about him first before we get into the team, who, by the way, I thought after that rough first period, I thought the Jets completely turned it around. And I didn't think it would be possible after watching the first 20 minutes, but I thought the Jets were full marks for the victory, and I thought they earned it. They played really, really good after that first 20. But that was a statement game from Patrick Liney. Let's not get it twisted here. He was engaged. He was physical. He was a little bit nasty, gnarly. I mean, who who didn't kind of jump off the couch a little bit and get jacked up when... He goes after the defenseman that cross-checks Kyle Connor in the corner and, you know, got a penalty to it. But just to see that response from Patrick Laine, yeah, he's invested. He's ready to go. And even if this marriage doesn't last into next season, I think any professionalism questions were, were put to bed very, very quickly into this game. But he was everything you wanted him to be, right? I mean, who the hell takes a shot on the breakaway from the top of the circle? Who has the audacity to even think that's a good idea? Yet the kid pulls it off and he goes bar in off Jacob Markstrom, one of the best goalies in the NHL. I, I mean, it's just insanity. And then again, he still gets overlooked for this, but that pass to Kyle Connor is is every bit of a that pass to Kyle Connor is every bit as good of a pass that Blake Wheeler would send over to Line A spot. I mean, that's a high end hockey play. You know, when he does it and when he wants to, he's an elite playmaker. Like, he makes passes with the best of the best in the NHL. And he did that there. And then that OT goal, I mean, he's not the most fleet of foot, but it was kind of neat, wasn't it, to see Patrick Lighty turn on the Jets? I guess outskate Sean Monaghan in a way. Outskate him enough, at least, right? To push the puck ahead of him. Keep the D honest a little bit. Thinking pass and... I mean, a great play. He kind of, I don't want to say he flubbed it. Monaghan makes a great back check. But again, that's what elite shooters do. The puck's in an, an unideal situation. And with just a flick of the wrist, Markstrom has no chance. So Patrick Lyon, to me, was the star of the game. Maybe not to me, to everybody that watched the hockey game. 
it was just as good as you could have hoped for for Patrick Liney right out of the gate. Maybe the most positive thing to come out of that game. Another player that stood out to me, and and maybe it was the flow had a thing about it, but I thought every bit as impactful as Patrick Liney having a statement game right out of the gate. I thought Josh Morrissey looked really strong. I thought Josh Moore, it might've been better than any game he had during the entire regular season last year. He, he looked like a different guy and the jets need him to be that guy as well to get into the playoffs. But I thought, I just thought he looked so much more assertive. He was aggressive without being reckless. I still have doubts about the Morrissey Pullman pairing being the jets, I, I guess, quote unquote, top pairing throughout the season. But I'll tell you what, I don't have as many doubts about what Josh Morrissey's going to bring. If he plays like he did last night, all season long, the Jets are going to be just fine. He was really, really good, really impressive. So a great, like to have someone up front like Line, someone on the blue line like Morrissey have a big start to the season. I mean, look, it is just one game, but don't discount, you know, the positivity and the feel good vibes from a big win like that carrying on through the next 55 games. So that, I mean, just really promising stuff for the most part from the Winnipeg Jets last night. Now I took the time. I (laughs) feel like I'm bragging like, Oh wow. I wrote notes down. The fact that I actually wrote something down. Anyone that knows me, that's about as invested as I could possibly get here. Um, But I just want to go through some notes that I had throughout the game. Some things that stood out to me and then we can get into some grades for different members of the Winnipeg Jets. And then we'll get you guys hooked up with, Little Nana's Kitchen and talk some Italian food. So we talked about that start to the game. It was not good. <laughs> it was a bad start to the game. So how did the Jets come out so flat? And, and I guess what did Calgary do specifically that put the Jets in such a tight spot? I mean, give the Flames some credit too. They were really aggressive and really successful on their pinches inside the Jets defensive zone while Winnipeg was trying to break out. Every time there was a forward, a winger high in the zone, they would throw that puck up there and a defense would come down, clamp on the pressure and the Jets just couldn't get out of their own zone. And you saw extended time against Winnipeg and look, they might not be a very good defending team this season. So the key for the Jets is going to be how do we get up and out of our zone as quickly as possible, but Calgary didn't allow them to. And you just saw a lot of running around a lot of, I mean, it almost looked like players were unaware of where they were supposed to be at times, who they were supposed to cover. We'll just give a bit of a pass because it improved so much over the next 40 minutes that I'm not going to say that their defensive issues are done, but it was maybe just a blip on the radar for now. We'll see how they do in their next game against Toronto. That's going to be the real test, maybe, if they can look more like the first period Jets or hopefully the second and third period Winnipeg Jets. I thought Tucker Pullman was, he wasn't bad. He he was a little, a little underwhelming beside Josh Morrissey, who I thought had a great game. Like I said, uh, failed to tie up Matthew Kachuk on the opening goal. Nice play by Kachuk, but that's something that you have to eliminate. It's an easy fix, right? Just tie the guy up in front of the net and, and Tucker Pullman failed to do that. I thought he was a little wonky in terms of puck management inside his own zone. Um, d- uh, of course, like the rest of the team got better as the game went on, but for anybody that had doubts as to whether or not this whole balanced approach on defense could work, that's still up in the air for me. 
I thought Morrissey had a great game. We could still see a little more from Tucker Pullman, though. Another thing, and I thought, you know, he had a pretty strong finish to the game. It wasn't an outstanding performance, but just a good all-around game. But Mark Shifley, when we talk about what he does defensively, you know, it happened again multiple times, especially in the first period last night, but even throughout the game. And it's just something he's he's got to get out of his game because I thought I thought he was pretty good last night, but it's just these same things that creep in and, and you wonder why he was rated as one of the worst defensive forwards in the NHL last season. A big part of that is he jumps the zone early a lot of the time. You know, as the centerman, and he does this first part right, swings low, kind of just below the goal line, and then you try and gather speed as you come up towards the breakout, whether you get a pass from your winger or your defenseman. He does that perfectly. But then if it's not there, it's just keep going up ice, keep going up ice, waiting for a chip, waiting for a flip. And the centerman is not supposed to be constantly the first guy out of the zone. Like there has to be some defensive responsibility, some better positioning out there. And it happened a couple times. One of those in the first period, Shifley jumped the zone, led to a two-on-one uh, inside of Winnipeg's end that Calgary kind of flubbed, so they weren't able to get a hold of that one. It's just little stuff like that that Mark Shifley needs to iron out, you know, maybe to get back to that spot that he was a few seasons ago in that rarefied era of top 10, maybe top five sentiment in the NHL. But all in all, I thought he had a good game, but it's just, again, when he's in his own zone, you have to take care of things and make sure the puck gets out first before you think rush offense the other way. And then the penalty kill. A little bit worries that the seam pass was kind of abused again. That's what happened on Calgary's power play goal in the first period. Find Johnny Goudreau, cross ice, and he had enough time. You know, he was on his offside, couldn't even one-time it. But he still had enough time because the pass was in such a dangerous area that Connor Hellebuck and Neil Pion couldn't get over there. So if the penalty kill is going to be a little passive, you can't allow seam passes to come through the other way. So now that the first period is over here on my notes, things are going to get a lot more positive. So that's exciting. Holy crap, what a shift by Nick Ehlers to start this thing up. And maybe that was the turning point right there. Nick Ehlers, I mean, he was absolutely, you know, behind Liney and Morrissey maybe, but... Nick Ehlers looked like he belonged on that top line. And that entire shift to kick off the second period was 100% what makes Nikolai Ehlers one of the best players in hockey. I mean, he was all over the ice. Then he makes that great diving poke check inside the Calgary zone to keep the play alive. I mean, it was just, it was everything you want to see out of a, out of an energy guy on your fourth line, but it came from a top line winger on the first line. And, and Shifley does a great job of finishing the play there. But Nick Ehlers deserves all the credit in the world for that first goal. I like what Miranda Tesh said at the Athletic. Give Ehlers a couple assists on that one. One point didn't feel like it was worthy enough for the effort that he put in there. And Nicky was just, he was outstanding all game long. I got on Mark Shifley a bit for his defensive game, but we should give him credit when he does something well. And he does a lot of things well. But this in particular always stands out to me. And it's when he's on a line with Patrick Laine. And this was um, a brief line change. So it wasn't like they were throwing out there by Paul Maurice. But when Shifley and Laine are on the rush together, Shifley just does a hell of a job. And it seems like it's innate chemistry between the two of finding Patrick Laine in that cross ice pass 
while they're on the rush heading into the offensive zone. He, he does it every single time. And especially from a guy that's more of a shooter in Mark Shifley, I think that's just something to put in our back pocket here and keep in mind as the season goes along. You know, if Line A continues to play as well as he has, you know, he might be up there on that top line. And if that's the case, don't be surprised if you see a lot of Shifley cross ice to Line A one timers. The pass was there, a bit of a flub. The defender got in it on Patrick Line as well. But I love that for Mark Shifley on the rush. He's always able to find that cross ice pass, something very few players in the NHL can consistently do. So the Jets dominated the second period. It was great. It was outstanding. Third, it's like they were bad in the third period. They were the better team in the third. Not a whole lot really happened, though. It was just kind of a... It felt like both teams, in a way, were maybe playing for that extra point. One thing that was interesting, though, on the power play, uh, that was when, to start the third period, Patrick Lining was not on the ice in the penalty box. Kind of an interesting wrinkle. Blake Wheeler shifted over to net front, and Kyle Connor dropped into Blake Wheeler's spot on the half wall there. So essentially turning into... Two different one-timer spots. Connor on that side, Shifley over in line A spot, and then you have six foot five Blake Wheeler in front of the net. I, I kind of dig that. We'll see if that's a thing or maybe just something that came up in the heat of the moment. Actually, scrap all that. The best power play moment came in the second period. Five forward power play. Finally, someone in the NHL has the cojones to do it. It was Paul Maurice. It was beautiful. It was like stepping into the Louvre. It was like it was like watching hockey in the future. And I, I, it was so good that the Jets scored too because sometimes you need a little positive reinforcement for the coaching staff that, hey, this thing works if we put all five guys up front out there on the ice. With the, with the firepower the Jets have, five on three, it should be a no-brainer that the Jets go five forwards. I Again, I would be more aggressive. I wouldn't even mind if they went five forwards on the power play at certain points, maybe if they're trailing late in the game. They they just have so much talent up front that, and not that Pionk or Morrissey aren't good on the power play, but to add an Ehlers, to add a Stasny to that group, I dig it. I'm, I'm all, I've, I've always been all on board for, a, for an all forward power play. So great by Paul Maurice, a great call. I think everyone was just jacked up and happy to see it. And then we get to overtime, and we touched on it there. Patrick Liney, just a hell of a game. A hell of a game by 29, and he finished that one off in style, and it gets the Jets off on the right foot right now. They they need points. Everybody needs points right now. And for them to get a win right off of the bat, just great. And we'll see if that momentum can carry through over into the next game against Toronto and then I believe a back-to-back against Ottawa. So there's the potential for a juicy little start here. If the Jets can maybe take one in TO and take care of business in Ottawa. So super exciting and a great start to the year. Let's do a little bit of letter grades first. I guess we'll start with the negative and then we can build up to the positive. Again, it's, it's game one, so we don't need to jump to any major conclusions here. Although I do wonder what his future is going to be on the team this year. Uh, Sammy Diku had a really rough game. He was, yeah, he was not great. It was not, it was not Sammy Diku's best performance. And it's just that when you combine that with what he's, I guess what he hasn't done on the jets in the past, you wonder if he's going to be able to be an NHL defenseman. He, he just looked lost in the defensive zone. Uh, I think it was Kachuk or Backland just completely walked him. 
And it's just, you know, a lot of the simple things Sammy Niku just wasn't able to, to do. And he just struggled all night long. So we'll see if he's in the lineup against Toronto. Uh, I don't know if Dylan DeMello is going to come back. Congrats to he and his partner on a new, hopefully happy, healthy, safe, beautiful baby. But a bit of a rough one for Sammy Niku in the season opener. I don't know if I would give anyone else an F, to be honest. I just, I, yeah, Niku was the one that struggled the most to me. If you want to go in the C, D range, the bottom six as a whole, I, I would put them as a C. Yeah, a, a D would be too harsh, I think. As far as the uh, the shot share and the analytics, they did pretty well, actually. They were among the uh, leaders on the team. So that's, you know what, as is constructed right now, that's probably what you would hope for out of those out of those two lines. So a really good start for the bottom six. Mason Appleton looked pretty good as well on that third line. We'll see if they can get a little bit of offense. They're going to be great defensively. Can they provide a bit of scoring punch is going to be the big question moving forward. Let's talk about the new guys. Derek Forbert had the save of the night. <laughs> that was a hell of a play. And, and imagine how differently that game could have looked out. How differently things could have turned out if Derek Forbert doesn't stack the pads on a diving save there. That goes in. Patrick Liney doesn't score on the breakaway. And, and maybe the Flames with a 3-4 goal first period just run away and hide with that one. So a great play specifically there by Derek Forbert. But I thought overall he was solid. He was just, if, if that's what you get out of Derek Forbert every night, Jets fans are going to be really happy because he was just steady, not all that noticeable, and big as hell beside Neil Pionk. So a pretty good debut for Derek Forbert. I guess Paul Stasny's the new guy, right? The old new guy. He's back again for a second go. I mean, he's just such a smart, heady player. He's one of those guys, like, when you watch Nick Ehlers play, it doesn't take too long to understand why he's so good, right? Because he just, he pops off the page so much, so flashy. But Paul says he just, he just does everything right. Like he's just Mr. Consistent. He's Mr. Perfect. He's Kurt Hennig. He just makes all the right plays. He's always in the right spots. It's just these little touch passes here and there. It's being in the right spot defensively to, you know, whether it's body positioning or just awareness to thwart a play and then head up the ice. And he makes these great passes you know, just entering the zone too. just all these little things he does so well. What a pickup by Chevy. He's going to be great if it is with Lining and Connor this season. Uh, Stasny had a much better job or a much better night in the uh, shot share department. A bit of a struggle for Lining and Connor, but they do what they do, right? Offensively, they performed. Connor a goal and assist. Lining with a three-point night. And I mentioned before, but Josh Morrissey, I thought, just had a really, really, really strong game. He was really good. So I would put him in the A's with Nikolai Ehlers, and I would put him there with Patrick Line. Patrick Line gets an A-plus for me. I'll just I'll, I'll give him the first star of the night. You know, no, no big surprises there. That's what stood out to be up front. Bit of a rough start for Blake Wheeler, I thought, too. But as the game went on, he looked a little more not engaged. He looked a little more kind of into it. I mean, sometimes these... Elder statesman, if you will, struggle to get into the game. There no training camp, really, no exhibition. So he had a slow start to the season last year, picked things up. Blake Wheeler, by the time the, the third period rolled around, looked a little more like the player we're accustomed to seeing. But overall, just a, a damn solid effort from the team. After a rough first period, for them to turn it around to the degree they did, I mean, just really, really optimistic, promising stuff. And I guess we'll go to the goalie, too. Connor Hellebuck made some nice plays with the puck. 
It actually happened. Didn't turn it over and made some nice plays. It was Jacob Archer at the other end. That was a bit of a tire fire when it came to playing the puck. Um, but yeah, to me, Connor Hellebuck just looked like a goalie that hasn't had game action in six, eight months. Like that's it. I think once he gets more, more action as the season goes along, he's going to be just fine. No, no worries. You know, it wasn't the greatest game in the world for him, but I thought overall he was, he was pretty solid. So I, I think if you wanted to give the Jets a grade as a whole, maybe a B, B plus, B, B plus somewhere in that range because the first period was an F. But then as they moved along, they took over control of the game. If you would have asked me after 20 minutes that the Jets could find a way to go about the next 40 and quote unquote earn the win, I would have been shocked but they found a way to, to to pull that off. So all the credit in the world to the Jets. Paul Maurice had a pretty good night behind the bench as well. Uh, we move on to Toronto next week. So exciting stuff here. A great game one of 56, 54. Let's hope the next 55 are as good as the first one was. Um, so we'll, at the end of the show, we'll get you ready for Tuesday's episode where we'll talk about the trip out there to Ontario, what to expect from the Jets. But for now, let's head to the plates portion part of the podcast. A little bit of Italian time. Very pleased now to be joined with the owner of Little Lana's Italian Kitchen, Mike Romani. Mike, how's it going tonight? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, our pleasure. Now, we've had a few restaurants on here with some great connections to the Jets, but I think you're the first one with a connection to the original, to Jets 1.0. Can you explain to our listeners your connection? Different lifetime, different yeah. <laughs> lifetime. But uh, yeah, I was uh, assistant equipment manager with, uh, worked under Craig Heisinger. Uh, Zing and I are still very, very good friends today. And he's uh, a, a mentor of mine. And uh, yeah, we were there in the good days when Solani and Zamanoff and Davidoff and all the, when he broke Mike Bossy's record. So it was a very, very fun time. I was a young guy and it was, uh, it was a great way to kind of enter the, uh, the business world. I mean, just hearing those names kind of warms my heart, and I'm sure everyone else is listening. Um, how many years? How when did you uh, work with the team? I was there for five seasons. Okay, and then uh, they left in ninety. Well, excuse me, left in five seasons, and in '93 I left and um, went on to get into some businesses, and uh, it, it was it was just a great great opportunity for me. But I think it was a, at the time I was young and enjoyed it, and uh, didn't want to travel my entire life. And uh, ended up getting into businesses and ended up traveling my entire life. So there's some irony to it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it certainly was a good good part of my life for sure. The oh. Jets were a great organization and Zinger is uh, just a class act. Well, yeah, and it's great to hear that you guys still have a, a great relationship by the sounds of it. What was it like working for Zinger? You know, um, anybody that knows Zinger, he's just an infectious person. He has got such an unbelievable personality. He cares, and for someone that has grown from an equipment manager to assistant general manager of the Winnipeg Jets 2.0, um, mm-hmm. he is—he's uh, not lost uh, where he started, and he's certainly humble, and certainly will bend over and help anybody that uh, that needs his help. It's just a class, class act. Absolutely. Did Did you ever cook for the Jets when you worked there? No, no, <laughs> no I didn't. No, no, I didn't have that pleasure at the time. But uh, I've had quite a few players uh, into the restaurant. Oh, really? Now, is that 1.0 and 2.0? Uh, 2.0. Okay. 2.0. Yeah, because we've only had the restaurant. Oh, we right, of the course. Restaurant, yeah. uh, just a year. Well, that's good to hear that they've come down. What's the, uh, I guess, what's the go-to order for the Jets players that show up? 
You know, chicken parm is a pretty standard. Yeah, shocker. And, and yeah, no, no doubt, eh? And then uh, spaghetti polpetta, which is uh, spaghetti meatballs. We've got our portions are, I have not seen very many people finish a portion. So uh, when these players come in, it's, uh, it's a challenge for them to even finish the portion. Well, let's get right into it then. And, and when I hear portions that can't be finished, that sounds right up anybody's Nona, anybody's grandmother's alley. Exactly. Could, could you maybe just explain first off, who is Little Nona? Who's the uh, restaurant named after? Yeah, so Little Nana is my wife's mom. Uh, my wife and I have been together since I was 16, so don't even know, can't even remember life without her. And uh, <laughs> so um, we grew up together cooking and eating. Um, her grandmother was Big Nana, and then Little Nana, because she's 85 pounds and about four foot two, oh. <laughs> my kids called her Little Nana. So we wanted to honor her with some of her recipes. And as I mentioned, it's kind of a hobby for my wife and I. So we uh, we love food, we love wine, we love people, and we love serving. So uh, it's it's great. It's a great uh, atmosphere to be in, meeting people, and we love sharing. You know, they're very very simple dishes. They're very traditional, um, and uh, we've had just great feedback uh, since we've been open. It was unfortunate with the pandemic that we had to shut in down in March, mm-hmm. but um, prior to that, it was uh, it was very very busy, and we're still busy with takeout right now. But obviously. Good Italian food is served a lot better and received a lot better when it's coming out of the kitchen right to your plate versus, you know, 45 minutes in a takeout container. Is there anything, I guess, different you have to do when it comes to either making or or packaging your food when you have to shift from dine-in to takeout? Certainly, yeah. We we have taken off a few things off our menu just because they don't travel well. Um, And anything that does uh, travel well or we've modified things to travel well, we've added a little bit more sauce. Um, maybe undercooked it a little bit so it cooks a little bit in the container from a noodle mm. perspective, just so it doesn't get as soggy. I mean, it, it, you know, if you overcook noodles, uh, it, it doesn't present very well and it doesn't travel very well. So, but the chicken parm, a chicken marcella, the spaghetti bopetta, all of our pizzas travel very, very well. And uh, we've had great reviews. I mean, we, we um, have got great Google reviews and anybody that's been in has certainly enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, we're really excited to get back open. But for now, all we can do is take out, and we just got to tough it out with the rest of the restaurants in the city. Can you maybe explain to people the difference? Uh, you mentioned that uh, Little Nana is from Calabria, which is in yeah. southern Italy. Can you just explain? Uh, because some people might think that Italian cooking is just blanket over the country, but there's a big difference between the south and the north. There's a huge difference. Yeah, great point. So when you're in the when you're in, for example, the north, and we do have this on, so it's kind of a hybrid uh, menu from Calabrese, but we have a fettuccine Alfredo. But if we go back home, where my wife and I have a house, um, they would not understand what fettuccine Alfredo is. <laughs> so that's a northern dish, a chicken parmesan. They have a chicken cutlet, but they don't have a chicken parmesan in the south either. So couple of traditions that we've got North American or that we've grown up with that we've incorporated into it. But the majority, like our breads are made fresh, all of our sauces, sausage and all of our meat is ground for our meatballs. So very, very simple dishes, but everything is fresh. And when you start with key ingredients, we bring our oregano in from Italy, which is a big factor. Uh, You can't get oregano in North America that we've ever had that has been able to have the flavor that you can get. So we actually bring it in from a little farm in a little town called Ravito, which is just in... uh, just outside of La Mezia, which is kind of the major city in uh, Calabria. 
That's awesome. I love and and you know what? That's to me the best part of Italian cooking is is the simplicity because I like trying new things and fusion and all that, but tradition and and simplicity is is everything when it comes to Italian cooking, right? For sure it is. For sure. One of the things we've had to switch gears with with the restaurant not being open to sit to dine in is my wife has done online cooking classes uh, and has taught a lot. And I bet you uh, we did it just after March when it closed down, and we've probably we've probably had more than fifteen hundred uh, people online for the classes. And they're always the comment is they're surprised how simple it is mm-hmm. um, and how easy the recipes are to do. So what we do is in the morning for an online cooking class, we'll deliver the food directly to their house and then they'll log on to a Zoom call and then she'll teach them how to cook it. And it's either 55 or $65. It's dinner for two. And that feedback has been phenomenal. And it's, uh, it's great from the support. You never get surprised from the support for the Winnipeggers. They're always uh, willing to help out. And this is a great idea. We'll get to your menu in just a second here, but the online classes, and I, I believe right now you guys are doing a pizza dough and a, and a pizza cooking class. Where did the idea yep. come from for that? I guess just the Zoom ideas to begin with, and, and you touched on there. I guess let people know how they can get involved because this is right up my alley, and, and for anybody that wants to have their own homemade pizza, I mean, this is just perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no, you you can uh, log on to our website. Uh, they're all posted on our website at Little Nana's Kitchen. Uh, or Instagram at Little Nana's Italian Kitchen on there, and uh, they're all posted. So um, we've got a this week we've got a pizza class, we've got a chicken marcella, and I believe I'm just looking now it's a carbonara class that we've oh. got this week. Oh, <laughs> sign me up for that. That that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's my jam right there. Well, it gives people an activity to do, and you know what? When you're talking about a fifty-five dollar uh, meal for two cater to your door and you get an event out of it it's it's there's great value and uh people have something to look forward to that night and they get taught a little bit about how to do something and some history on italy and just a fun event yeah great i mean great for couples great for date night and great for the kids too which is awesome yeah you bet we've had lots of children and families on there we've had a lot of private parties where um people have birthday parties with five or six across the country some we haven't even had uh you know, deliver the food. We've just given them the menu items for different cities and they've picked it up and they've joined the class. Now for the lazy of us out there, can we maybe dive into the menu a little bit here where you don't want to make anything. Let's just have somebody else make it for us. We'll start with your, with your uh, insalata, the antipasta, your appetizers. And, and just looking at it here, I, I have to imagine going out on a limb. I know your meatballs are probably one of your best sellers, correct? The meatballs are a huge seller. Yeah, yeah our meatballs, uh, again, not a traditional meatball, but our, our meatballs a traditional flavor, but it's a larger size. So our meatballs are more like a softball. Oh. And <laughs> when you get a plate of spaghetti polpetta, there's three meatballs and a plate of pasta. And as I say, I'm a fairly decent-sized guy, and I can't nice. finish a plate even. That, yeah. Softball, yeah. You, you, anytime you hear softball-sized any kind of food, that, that's that, that that's where it's at right there. Now, what what do you do that you said they're not traditional your meatballs? What outside well, of the tradi- size is it? Just the size? Just the size. Okay, yeah, just the size. The size of the meatball, and then in Calabria, meatballs are actually made flat. So instead of a round meatball huh. like it is in North America, you would have a flat meatball, kind of a rectangle shaped meatball. Okay, and fried, and a little bit more breading inside the meatballs. So again, very very simple. In Calabria, it's a very poor region of Italy. So they tried to utilize a lot of simple ingredients. And 
as a result, we've incorporated a lot of the stuff we've learned uh, back home and um, just tried to put a little bit of a twist on the North American side just to keep everybody kind of current and understanding what it is. You know, I wanted to ask, actually, because I, I see or hear about this all the time. Do you guys get Calabrian chili shipped in? I've, I've wanted to get some forever, but I have no idea where the hell to look for them. Well, I'll tell you what we do. You, we, we, absolutely, we do. Um, we bring a lot in from Italy, but one of the things we do bring in is uh, we bring in our cheese. Ooh, so, uh, nice. yeah, just before the pandemic closed, we don't do it anymore, but there's a dish called Cacio and Pepe. Mm-hmm. And Cacio and Pepe is angel hair pasta uh, cooked and then put into a large pecorino cheese wheel and then grated. So this pecorino cheese wheel is about 95 pounds. Pasta goes in gets warmed up, scrape the cheese, and then it gets added with some fresh ground pepper. And it's an amazing dish. And it's a dish you can eat and actually feel less full than when you started. You know, I was going to ask about the cheese wheel. And I, I mean, I've, I've never seen it in person. Is is it everything that it lives up to be? It is. Yeah, yeah no, it's beautiful. It's, uh, <laughs> we've got to limit the na- number of people that come in for that yeah. um, <laughs> because it's, uh, it's an event and there's one cheese wheel and we've got to make sure that we get it around. But uh, the cheese is a... As you commented on, we'll bring in the cheese from Italy all the time because uh, it's just it's a far richer um, cheese than we can get here in North America. Mm-hmm. And again, talking about simple ingredients, we just want the right ingredients. And then the cooking is very, very easy to do when you have the right ingredients. Absolutely. Well, let's move over. You guys sell a handful of pizzas, which all sound delicious, by the way. Uh, can you maybe just take us into your pizza making process? Sure. Well, one of our signature pizzas is an Anduja pizza. And Anduja is just starting to come into North America right now, but it's been a traditional uh, meat and it's a pork. And what they do is they take chili flakes and, and raw pork and they cure it. And um, it's kind of comes out like a pate. So when it gets placed on the pizza, it demulsifies onto the pizza and it's a spice and it's an amazing pizza. So that is probably our signature pizza that pe- okay. most people come into. Um, but another one is our fungi. We have four different types of mushrooms that is um, that people have really, really uh, enjoyed. It's one of been of our top sellers. And then my favorite is the tray carne. It's the you're a meat pizza guy. Meat pizza, yeah. <laughs> right on. Now, is I, I notice a lot of your pizzas have uh, white sauce, an Asiago cream sauce. Is that collab? Like, is that a Southern Italy thing, or is that, that just is. something you came up with? Nope, nope, that's actually from the South. Okay. Yeah, that's actually from the South. Fairly common. Even in the South, though, uh, within different regions, because it was such a poor region and still relatively poor, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't travel uh, very far. So from town to town, you can quite often have different variations of of a recipe or variations, but it's very local. So what they have in that town, in that area... Those are the those are the materials or the uh, ingredients they would use for uh, for their cooking. And what kind of a pizza oven do you use? We don't have a stone uh, uh, wood fired pizza oven. We have a traditional uh, seven hundred degree pizza oven uh, on a stone, and um, crusts come out calabrese style. So uh, you know, toasted bottoms, fluffy tops, um, and traditionally very very soft. Let's move over to the pastas now. I'm, I'm a pasta guy, if I could. I, I have pasta for breakfast probably like two, three times a week. Is, My is kind it, of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, is it like children? Can you pick a favorite pasta? Is it possible? You know, that's a tough one for me. I grew up, I mean, we eat pasta every day. So I, I would be a tough guy to pick. But if I had to, if I had to pick one that it's a, a very common one for us, 
is the spaghetti carbonara. It is a, a great dish. It travels well. Um, it's creamy. It's light. It's not too heavy. Um, people really, really love spaghetti carbonara. And the other one that I, I, it's, I'm not a clam person, but is a huge seller, is the vongole. And it's mm. very, very light. It's got some uh, garlic, some parsley, some chili flakes, and some clam sauce. And, and it's very, very light with a bunch of clams. And so that is one of our top sellers. But um, another one that really, really hits is, as I said, the spaghetti polpetta. It's very, very traditional. And when people come in, that's kind of what they, they're looking for. And when they see the size of the meatballs walk by them, that's uh, generally what they'll, they'll jump on. I mean, carbonara is, I think I would have to go with carbonara too. And it's just, it's crazy how you get that much flavor in like, what is it? Three ingredients, right? Like the cheese, yeah. the eggs and, and the pancetta. That's pretty much yep. it. Yep. You know what? To go back, it's the right pancetta. It's the right pancetta. It's the right fresh parm and uh, they're farm fresh eggs. And it just, it really, really makes a difference when you're using the right ingredients. Now, I don't, I don't want to be a food snob, but for those out there that, and I take my Italian very seriously, if you want to know what's a legit traditional carbonara, this is one of them because you don't see cream anywhere near the carbonara. It's got, no. it's got to be eggs. It's got to be the cheese, and that's it, right? You got it. Yeah. Perfect. No, can't add that for sure. So how much pasta dough or how much flour, like how, mu- how much are you guys generally making, I guess, over the course of a week? Because I imagine these just sell like crazy. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. It, when we were open, um, we were doing somewhere between 120 and 150 meals during the week and closer to double that on the weekends. Now that's considerably down numbers because we're a boutique. I don't know if you've had a chance to be in our, uh, our restaurant, mm-hmm. but we're an all booth seating um, setting rather. So everything has a roof on it and you really feel like when you're eating one of the, one of the key things that we wanted to develop for, uh, for dine out was when you were sitting in our restaurant, we wanted you to feel like you're at your own table. We wanted the service to be amazing, but we wanted you to feel private. So everyone had kind of a little private booth. Uh, didn't want to have any any kind of side noise, and so that was one of our key things. So we've only got a 60 seat restaurant. Uh, we don't want it any bigger than that, simply for the fact that the quality of the food. We want to make sure that we can deliver the quality of the food and the service and the attention to detail. So the numbers the numbers are are what they are based on the volume of uh, of seating that we have. Awesome, and and I yeah. do want to get to this uh, before yeah. we go shortly here. Just because Manitobans are the best people on the planet, and you know, you even right. even with everything going on, I just I love that you guys are still going out of the way to help out people in need. And and for those that are unaware and maybe want to help out, you guys do a donation for every takeout order. Can you maybe explain why this is important to your restaurant? Yep, for sure. So t- two things. Uh, one, we have uh, we have been feeding the uh, Grace Hospital COVID. Um, when they first started the pandemic in March and continued for several months. Uh, so help them out. Uh, we did that once a week for lunch, as did many other great restaurants and great family businesses. So that was one of our, our focal points. And then our charity is the Children's Rehab Foundation. So every takeout order and every when we're open or if we sell during the, uh, the takeout, a bottle of wine, we have a large acrylic uh, wine bottle in the front of the restaurant and every time a cork gets dropped in, we give a donation back to the children's rehab. So it was, uh, it's a five and a half foot bottle and uh, about two feet wide. So there's a whole lot of corks 
And within the first month of operation, we were half full. So wow. it, uh, my wife sits on the board of the children's rehab and, uh, it's a passion for us to help kids and, and families that, uh, that need it. So that's our charity of choice. And, uh, and we certainly, uh, you know, we love giving back You're, You had it, you had it nail on the head. Winnipeggers are the best people on the planet and you, they go out of their way for, uh, for people they don't know all the time. And it's just a tradition that Winnipeggers do. That's so great. Changes. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm I'm so so happy for you guys. And and again, two dollars for every takeout order is donated to the Children's Rehabilitation Foundation. You, I mean, you don't need a good reason to order pasta or pizza or any anything else you guys sell. But if you needed a little extra motivation, you know what you guys do is just so awesome. So that that's great. Well, I appreciate it very much. Very kind of you. And now we end our interviews here with a bit of a fun twist back to the sporting world. But with the jet season finally getting underway, what would be Little Nana's Italian Kitchen's version of the perfect game day meal? Hmm. Well, I can tell you that when I traveled with the team, that okay. was my big day. So game day meals were always on the road, and uh, it was chicken, pork, beef, and pasta. And I was young enough that I would always sit with the players, and it was like a feast for me. So. Um, I would say that the Oso Buco is a signature dish. It's just short rib and it's a big carb load and a big protein load um, would be probably the right meal for any of the hockey players coming in for game day. Beautiful. I love it. There it is. Oso Buco, some short ribs to get you ready for the jet season. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mike. I really appreciate it. I know you guys are busy, so thanks for taking the time to join us. No problem at all. My pleasure. Can you maybe just let our listeners know uh, how they can get in contact with your place, whether online, Instagram, whatever it is, just let everybody know how they can order your great food. Yeah. So uh, you can email us at eat at little nana's kitchen.com. You can contact us at the restaurant at two one nine two six one five, or you can Instagram us and DM us on Instagram at little nana's Italian kitchen. Thanks so much for joining me. Have a great one. You as well. Take care. All right, well, that does it for us here. Another episode when we're back on Tuesday, we'll be able to break down Jets Leafs, the first action, potentially. I mean, who knows? Could this be a one versus two in the division battle for the first time all season? I, For me, these are the games I'm going to be most excited about, Jets Maple Leafs, although we'll see if the rivalry with the Flames continues. But we'll break down that one on Tuesday. Also next week, dropping down, how does a place that's 300 square feet survive in the pandemic? We'll talk with a great, I guess, speakeasy here in Winnipeg. Great food, really great drinks as well. If you're if you're into the cocktails, really great drinks. But we talk about how a tiny place finds a way to make it work during these tough times. That's all coming next week. I hope you guys enjoyed game one of the regular season. I hope you guys enjoy Fried Chicken Fest. Make sure you help out all the restaurants that are doing part in that. But until next time, until Tuesday, peace.